Hey, I'm Sam Zimmerman, Director of Programming at Shudder. Listen, I knew Mark Cambria. In fact, Mark reached out to me as part of his research into the white tapes, and that's what originally brought Video Palace to its home on Shudder. I've been in touch with Tamara, and am still hopeful that Mark's story will have a happy ending. While we still lack definitive answers, the podcast inspired a professor of folklore at the New School in New York City named Maynard Wills. Through his work, we've learned that Mark Cambria is far from the only person to have experienced a chilling encounter with the eyeless man. Over the last two years, Wills has done his own research and collected stories. These are either experienced firsthand or passed on about the eerie phenomena of the white tapes and the aforementioned eyeless man. On October 13, 2020, Tiller Press, part of Simon & Schuster, will publish Professor Will's work, Video Palace, In Search of the Eyeless Man, which shares 10 stories from familiar faces in the horror community, and contains the only interview Tamara Wolf has done since Mark's disappearance. This book is available for pre-order now, but for you, fans of the podcast, we're releasing three episodes taken from the audiobook into this feed. This first episode includes the preface by Will's teaching assistant Daniel Carter and Will's introductory entry. The subsequent two episodes will include stories from Graham Skipper, read by Tim Page, and Bria Grant, read by Rebecca Ross. We hope you find them interesting, and we hope you join our quest to uncover the truth about the Eyeless Man. Buy Video Palace in search of the Eyeless Man now, wherever you purchase books, ebooks, or audiobooks. Preface. My name is Daniel Carter. I'm a graduate student at the New School in New York City, where I have studied folklore and mythology under my mentor, Professor Maynard Wills. I have been employed as his teaching assistant since 2016. Some listeners, especially those who have an affinity for urban legends and the more remote corners of the Internet, may know his name you'd most certainly recognize his various online pseudonyms. If you've come across a surprisingly erudite post about Ogopogo's influence on British Columbia's economy or correlations between chupacabra sightings and livestock pandemics, it's probably Maynard undercover, tapping away at the witching hour, a frosty mug of A&W and his cat, Baba Yaga, his only companions. I only wish you were still able to enjoy these indulgences. Professor Wills became a near-mythic figure himself, at least in the field of folklore and urban legend. Yes, plenty of tenured academics hold up their nose at Maynard and belittle his niche arena of expertise. To a fellow folklorist and obsessive like me, though, he's a hero. He taught me that by tracking our monsters, we can learn so much more about our own nature. I'm proud to say that my association with Professor Wills remains my most gratifying academic and professional accomplishment. You can only imagine my horror when I, his most faithful pupil, set him down the path that has cost him his sanity at best and perhaps his life. 
This book and Professor Wills's tragedy share an impetus, and I alone shoulder the blame for it. You see, I introduced Maynard to Video Palace, a podcast I heard on the streaming platform Shudder. Video Palace is hosted by a young man named Mark Cambria, who became obsessed with a series of white VHS tapes filled with inscrutable avant-garde footage. Cambria's inquiry into their peculiar features and enigmatic origin led him and his girlfriend, Tamara Wolf, on a harrowing journey from New York City to New England and back. Their experience was disconcerting, filled with threats, injury, and worse. A mythic figure loomed at the center of this story, a figure Maynard has tracked for years. The Eyeless Man. This book, likely Maynard's last work, is dedicated to this phantom's place in culture, folklore, and now our lives. I want to clearly establish that I wish I'd never shared Video Palace with Professor Wills. That I did with such enthusiasm only adds to my guilt and my grief. If you choose to listen to Video Palace, it might help contextualize aspects of this book, but I cannot promise that you won't have an adverse reaction. Its story has a way of burrowing into the skin before moving on to corrupt the heart and infect the brain. I have done my best to assemble this volume based on the professor's notes. His vision was to juxtapose his quest for the cultural origin of the eyeless man with fascinating stories either experienced by the author, acquired secondhand, or heard around the campfire. He wanted to show the pervasiveness of the eyeless man figure across cultures, and I believe the contributors he's enlisted soundly prove his point. I'm grateful for the helpful emails and the chats I've had with the talented writers who shared these personal stories. For all the hours he spends in his library, Professor Wills is, like most champion storytellers, quite an extrovert and so he made friends across the movie and publishing industries. When he put out the call, many answered. Despite my sadness, I am grateful for that. It's my responsibility to represent this collection as I believe Professor Wills would have wanted it. I chose to embrace this burden no matter the cost. As I write this preface, I pray that the book's publication brings us answers. I'm just not sure where exactly to direct these prayers. For you, dear listener, I hope the stories and interludes deliver wisdom and inspire insights. Perhaps they will open your eyes as they did mine, though I feel obligated to warn you, you may not like what you hear. Please note that periodically, I interject with my own observations, discoveries, and hypotheses, all composed as Professor Wills began to slip away. Daniel Carter Dr. Maynard Wills An Origin Story I grew up in a tiny Maine community tucked into Marsh Island's eastern edge. It's called Old Town, and old it is at least by America's standards. It was settled a couple of years before Hancock dipped the quill that birthed an idiom, 
and it became a township well before the Southern Secession. Old Town in the 1950s was a nice enough place for a child, but among the Eisenhower normalcy, excepting the duck and cover drills, I longed for a taste of the extraordinary. Not so unusual, I know, but my ears pricked up at the mention of anything, well, strange, especially in our little corner of the world. The monster of Pocomoonshine Lake, just two hours' drive. The lost settlers of Norumbega buried right under our feet. I'd loiter around the pharmacy whether I had the pocket change for a Coke float or not, waiting for the older boys to quit their chatter about girls and pester the soda jerk for twice and thrice told folk tales, both weird and woeful. My grandfather, who taught classes a short bike ride away at the University of Maine, recognized this fire inside me and decided to fan the flames. We saw many Saturday monster movie matinees, but he supplemented low culture with high and gifted me Edith Hamilton's mythology, superior to that crusty old prig bullfinch. My world expanded, exploded, beyond the parochial scope of soda fountain banter. I became lost in boundless stories that transcended space and time, heaven and earth. I was fascinated by the gods and their dramas. Love, scorn, revenge, death. It's no wonder that soap operas and the fine art of professional wrestling later became part of my media diet. Laugh all you want but they teach this stuff at MIT. But my absolute favorite episode concerned mortals, the tragedy of Orpheus and Eurydice. You know the story. Orpheus braves the underworld to rescue his love, Eurydice, only to turn back and look at her at the last moment, condemning her for eternity. It's been told by Virgil, Ovid, and Boethius, countless others, adapted by Cocteau. Hell, I think Guillermo del Toro even alludes to it in Blade Two. While I love the bones of the myth, all these tellers have their own twists, their own subtext. Each molded the myth as the story exchanged hands and evolved over epics. Myths live in a thousand forms. They are organisms of multiplicity. I sit today at my extremely cluttered desk in a shared adjunct office in Manhattan, unsure if I should splurge on a sandwich at Lenny's, but exceedingly grateful that I found my purpose at such a young age. The streets of Greenwich Village certainly are a far cry from Old Town, where I'd spent countless hours wandering the vast, verdant expanse, glimpsing, or so I thought, Trolls, goblins, and fairies wandering the same woods, peeking behind branches and sneering from inside rotted trees. You can probably already sense that I don't really fancy myself an academic. I don't have much patience for literary theory and get tied in knots trying to grok the postmodernists. Instead, I think of myself as a story detective, or maybe a narrative archaeologist. Choose whichever metaphor you like. Both suggest I get a cool-looking hat, so I'm good either way. It was in the mid-sixties, during my high school years, that my professional identity began to form. 
The Epic of Gilgamesh was on our syllabus, and as you probably remember, the poem includes a great Mesopotamian flood that's caused by wrathful gods. My teacher, a wise and patient man named Harlow, asked the class, Is there another ancient text where we hear about a massive flood? I raised my hand and gasped as I gave the correct answer. The Bible. It was a eureka moment for me, the realization that two separate works of the old world mentioned a great flood, and the implication that perhaps the flood, in some sense, was a historical event in our world's ancient past that had birthed a multitude of stories. As much as I loved old man Harlow, I skipped quite a bit of school so I could hoof or bike over to the University of Maine and sneak into the library where I'd grab a pile of dusty tomes and trace myths and legends across cultures. Then I'd go home and plot their origins and influences on my corkboard like some crazed FBI profiler. It's worth noting that at exactly this time, Maine's favorite son— a young Steve King was studying at U of M. If we ever crossed paths in the library, I didn't notice. I was too busy hunting monsters, though I like to think we probably cursed each other over borrowed volumes. Harlow caught me in there once on a Saturday and smiled. I think he understood my absences. I detected a sense of pride. Now that you know who I am and, well, my origin story, we can discuss my nemesis, the eyeless man. For decades, I have pursued myriad pet projects. Most bring me immense joy. But the eyeless man is a source of torment. I have tracked and traced his presence across continents and cultures from the birth of the atomic age through today's digital deluge. He is a shadow, an elusive boogeyman, his story fragments don't fit patterns as neatly as I'd like, and whispers of his name seem to evaporate before I can form any hypothesis with solid footing. I've discussed him with like-minded friends, some who have contributed to this volume, but I was ultimately confounded. He was too slippery a phantom, and I was prepared to stuff the bastard in a drawer and be done with him. And then my teaching assistant, Daniel Carter, told me about Video Palace. I believe that Mark Cambria and Tamara Wolfe lived a version of the myth. What's true and untrue, I don't know. Where Mark Cambria is, I have no idea. But I'd like to find out as this legend is birthed in real time. This book has two tracts. I have extended an invitation to my fellow folklore and urban legend enthusiasts. There are writers, filmmakers, and academics among them, and they have either heard campfire tales of the eyeless man or know someone who has felt his presence. In some cases, the connection is quite personal. They share their stories in this collection. As they do, you will learn more and more about the eyeless man just as I have. Between these stories, I will provide interludes that chronicle my search for the origin of this legend, an entity that breeds terror. I'm not afraid, for every story has its beginning, and once I find it, we 
my friends, will control its power. Let us begin. Want to dig deeper into the phenomena investigated in this Shudder original podcast? Check out Tiller Press and Simon & Schuster Audio's Video Palace in search of the eyeless man. Available in book, audiobook, and ebook formats. Join folklorist Dr. Maynard Wills and a host of horror and gothic fiction writers as they collect urban legends connected to Mark and Tamara's pursuit of the white tapes.